Let me say thank you to Ashley for that wonderful testimony. So much richness there. And uh, I especially love the line about uh, everybody's a mess. Some people will just start showing it, right? So true. That's true. So thank you. Let us pray. Help us to know, God, the gift that Ashley was describing, the truth that we are loved before everything we do, and after everything we do, that we are loved. So God, let this life of mine and ours and each of us individually, let it be a life of surrender, slow surrender to your love in all things. Amen. Don't hear me okay? You hear me okay? Yes? All right. I walk around a lot in the city. I take mass transit a lot in the city. And also, because I'm an eavesdropper as I walk around and take mass transit a lot in the city, I hear all kinds of things. Maybe you do too, if you don't have your buds in, you hear things. The other day, for example, as I walked across the loop to a meeting, I collected fragments of conversations people were having on their phones or with people they were walking with, or occasionally conversations people were having with themselves as they walked down the street. Fragments all down Washington Street. Like, I cannot believe you threw me under the bus like that in front of my boss. The test results came back and the doctor wants her to come into the office. I did not get into my last chance option. It's going to cost a lot more than we thought it was. No one, not one person in all of Chicago, looked at my online dating profile last night. <laughs> all true fragments. So the majority, not all the fragments, but the majority of fragments I heard as I walked down Washington were laced with anxiety. One guy walked by, this is the most salient for me, he walked by just repeating his terrible mantra as he walked by, I always said, damn, 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 all done. Sometimes I feel like my job, part of my job as a human being, is just to notice those things, and to offer them up to God, just to lift those people up to God in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of all the worry that we carry around, all the stress, all the stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just to lift it up to God in the midst of all this anxiety, say, God, just hold this. Anxiety is like, I was trying to think of like, what is anxiety? There are all different kinds of metaphors. I was like, anxiety is like carbon dioxide. Now, what we crave emotionally, what we need emotionally to live is oxygen. But I feel like instead, anxiety just pumps CO2 into the system. It pumps it into our lungs. Just, it's like global warming. That's horrible. It's so, and some of us, we learn to adapt to that increased CO2 by just learning to breathe more shallowly all the time. And some of us, not because we're worse off than those people who learn to adapt, some of us realize that we can't breathe sometimes and we're just hit with an anxiety attack or a panic attack and just, ugh. And some of us live somewhere in that spectrum. Sometimes we're breathing shallowly, sometimes we're panicking attacks, sometimes we're just repressing it all, not paying attention. I do not usually let my anxiety show in public. Uh, I am great, I don't know about you, but I am great at bottling up uh, until bedtime. Uh, you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean. You're in bed, 
3 a.m. Either you woke up because and you can't get back to sleep, or it's 3 a.m. and you have not yet been to sleep because, well, all those thoughts, right? You know what I'm talking about. A ton of the prayers in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament are written from the bed. And I'm not surprised. All the things that come up when we lie down at night. Psalm 6 says it. I am tired of sighing every night. I lie down and my bed swims in tears. And I think, thank you, ancient sisters and brothers, for telling the truth about this part of human life. I will say, uh, I'll be 40 in about a week and a half. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, you can clap for two weeks, but uh, <laughs> my anxiety as a human being has been, it's still present. It's, it is, right? But it, it has diminished greatly as I've gotten older. Um, but several years ago, some of y'all know this story, I talk frankly about this, this is part of my story, but several years ago, at the end of my drinking career, I was having sleepless nights every night. I would wake up and I couldn't get back to sleep because because the hollowness that I felt would just ache so pretty bad, and I couldn't get back to sleep, or maybe I'd sleep fitfully. And then finally, uh, I got some help and stopped drinking, and I thought, thank God, that's over. No more hollowness, no more anxiety. And y'all, for the first few months of being sober, it got worse. Uh, now it wasn't just hollowness, now I'd wake up and there'd be like a ton of cinder blocks on my chest, or on my back, or on my head. I was like, I have stopped the harmful behavior. Why am I? Why do I still have anxiety? Right. Alcohol was one of the ways, one of the ways that I medicated my anxiety. And so when I stopped drinking and took away that coping mechanism, well, the anxiety just erupted like a volcano. Now, you know what I'm talking about? That may not be your uh, coping mechanism, uh, but that was my numbing agent. What, what, was, what have been some of your numbing agents? What are currently? What's that? Netflix, all right. <laughs> all right. Shopping. Shop? Okay. All right. I did not expect uh, responses, but I love that. <laughs> a healthy congregation. Because the help is in naming it, right? So maybe they have been some of the biggest leader numbing agents have been some of the classical ones alcohol, nicotine, food, uh, Tylenol PM, uh, which is actually one that we think is okay to use over and over again. But it's same kind of thing. Maybe yours is not a classical coping mechanism, uh, classical vice kind of coping mechanism. Maybe it's a more subtle one like judgmentalism or control freakery or working out or always having a plan. I know some folks who have to do lists that rival God's to do lists. <laughs> that is the way they tamp down anxiety by knowing exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen or so they think, right? One friend of mine just got back from vacation and I was like, how was the vacation? He was like, it was exhausting. <laughs> and he told me about his schedule and how they moved from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and event to event to site to site to site. I was like, well, how was it? How was all that stuff you saw on vacation? He was like, we didn't make it in everything on my list, which is very frustrating. <laughs> and it became clear to me he had not actually experienced anything that he had seen on vacation. He was vacationing compulsively. I did not know that was a thing. Apparently it's a thing. That's how he deals with his anxiety. People do that with their weddings. 
place too, right? You know, and that's not just on anybody, but like it's that same time. You're like, oh, it's done, or we're not getting married. So three weeks, take a deep breath and let it go. You're in love, you'll be fine. God's got you, right? Here's the favor of Coconut. It's all right. Maybe your family's here, but it's not about them. It's like, so when I was reading and praying the scripture this week in preparation for the sermon, and we're starting a new series today, you won't be surprised that the little fragment that stuck out to me and Britt read it so beautifully, the little fragment that stuck out to me from that reading some Proverbs was, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, did you hear that? Your sleep will be sweet. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. That's what Proverbs promises if we practice wisdom. Not crazy anxiety, but sweet sleep. It goes on to say, I think existential confidence is what is promised if you practice wisdom. Proverbs is this fascinating little collection of aphorisms, little statements that are concerned, this is in the Old Testament, these little, little uh, statements, these little mantras, these little aphorisms, short statements that are concerned with practical living, how to live right. Very, very practical, earthy wisdom. And maybe you've heard some Proverbs before from Proverbs and not you haven't realized, because they're so commonplace in our culture, that they're actually biblical. Um, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's Proverbs. Start children off in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not turn from it. That's Proverbs. Stupid people think they are always right. <laughs> Wise people listen to advice. That's one that God keeps whispering in my ear from Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs collects all of this shrewd wisdom from those who have walked the journey of life a little bit longer than we have, okay? From folks who walk the walk. And I want to say, not just from human beings who walk the road before us, but from Divine wisdom herself. Let me just stop digging into this. Divine wisdom herself. The book of Proverbs depicts wisdom, capital W, as a woman who has been walking the road from the very beginning. Wisdom, the Greek word is Sophia. Wisdom, the story goes, was with God at the beginning of the beginning at creation, and with wisdom, through wisdom even, God created the world. Right? Wisdom is a woman who knows the world well because she has lived it. Right? This is in the Bible. All right? People are like, how do I talk about he and she for God? And the Bible's like, read the Bible. All right? So uh, I think of wisdom as like your great grandma. Say, I don't know if you had a great grandma like this. And baby, now listen up now. I got something to tell you. That's wisdom. That's divine wisdom. Wake up now. Listen up. Come on, child. I got something to tell you. Were your grandmothers like that? Uh, one of my grandmothers used to say, Oh, baby, you having a hard time sleeping? Warm up some milk on the stove. And then lay down on the couch and count sheep. And you'll be just fine. That was her wisdom. My other grandma would say, Baby, you having trouble sleeping? Have a half shot of whiskey. <laughs> is, the, is the baby crying? Just give him a little teaspoon of whiskey with some, with some sugar. <laughs> that was her wisdom. I took after her and one of the other. <laughs> the wisdom of Proverbs says, you want to sleep soundly, you want to deal with your anxiety, here's how. The Lord will be your existential confidence. God will be 
your solution to the anxiety. So that's what we're going to be exploring over the next four weeks in this short term series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the condition of anxiety with its shallow breathing and its uh, sleepless nights and its chewed up fingernails and how God can help us deal with it. So we all know what anxiety feels like, right? Yes, everyone knows. We've all experienced it, some of us in great ways, some of us in small ways. But where does it come from? Is it from brain chemistry? Is it from bad choices or bad parenting or bad presidenting? Um, <laughs> or all of the above, or none of the above. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who's one of my favorite writers, asks, and I quote him, is anxiety a mental illness or an addiction? Maybe it's both, he asks, partly because maybe you can't help it, and partly because maybe, for some complicated reason, you choose not to help it. You torment yourself with detailed visions of the worst that could possibly happen. He asks, does your accelerated pulse or the knot in your stomach mean that Beneath whatever the immediate cause, you are acting out some ancient and unresolved drama of childhood. And since the worst things that happen are apt to be the things you don't see coming, you think there's a kind of magic whereby if you only see them coming, you will be able somehow to prevent them from happening? Who knows the answer, he says. I wish I had the answer for you today. I do not. In my experience, and the experience of those I've been in community from, this is really broad brushstrokes, anxiety comes from three general places. Sometimes it is stoked by all those inner voices, those hates, and we don't know where they come from. Maybe it's chemistry, maybe it's parenting, whatever. All those hates. You know, I'm talking about, we talk about that a lot in this church. The things that say you're not good enough, you're not enough unless you, all those debilitating uh, hates that play. And, and you know, you can hear them in your mind, you know they're not real in any material way but they still are real, they cause a great deal of anxiety, right? That's one of the places they come from, anxiety comes from. Another thing anxiety comes from is from external things that are uh, very real, all right? Uh, one of my friends is saying, you know, we were talking about anxiety, she's like, there's a lot to be anxious about in this world. Uh, a lot, gun violence, global warming, rape culture, mass incarceration. Uh, it's not a pretty picture out there, right? It's a, if you're alive and breathing, those things are real, they cause anxiety. That's one thing, another thing. And another general area, I think sometimes anxiety comes not from something negative, but from something positive. Now, I remember the morning we launched weekly worship at Urban Village about five and a half years ago. I woke up and I just about threw up that morning. <laughs> and then I just about threw up for the first two or three months of launching it. I don't feel vomitous anymore before I preach. <laughs> um, but most Sunday mornings, if I'm honest with you, and I will be, there is an uneasiness, uneasiness in my stomach. There's an anxiety. And I think, I believe that comes from a holy place. Sometimes anxiety comes up because you are responsible for saying something important. And not just from the pulpit, right? From the blog, from the boardroom from the classroom, you're called to say something important. And it feels a little nerve-wracking, but it's holy. So through this series, we're going to be talking about how to move with anxiety, from anxiety, into serenity. And we're going to be focusing in these four weeks on this little prayer. Maybe some of you know, it's written by a theologian 
who's attributed to a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, who was writing in the 30s, sort of a World War I and II stretch. And the, the prayer became popularized in the rooms, actually, of 12-step recovery of AA, uh, starting in 1940. And uh, the rooms and rooms of recovery often closed the meeting uh, with this prayer. So I'm going to say it, and if you, if you know it, you can say it with me. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to let the difference. That is a beautiful prayer. And we're going to explore that. I love so many things about it, but two things today. I love that it names that serenity is something that comes from God. God, grant me the serenity. Because that ain't coming from here. <laughs> God. And I love, thank God, for people who are real and honest. I love that it names that the evidence of serenity in our lives is not the evidence, the sign of serenity in our lives is not uh, this blissed out, everything's great, emotional state. Right? But serenity is the capacity to hold different, even contradictory things in ourselves and to keep on living. If we have serenity, we can hold the both hands both the beautiful things and the terrible things, the things that are changeable and the things that are not changeable, the things that are comforting and the things that are extremely discomforting, we can hold them all. Lord knows the way of Jesus has some really comforting things and some really essentially discomforting things. We have serenity, we learn by God's grace, by God's help, by God's wisdom, to hold all that stuff together. It turns out that serenity is not absence of anxiety, but is the capacity to transform that anxiety, diminish it, hopefully, but hold it as we walk through life. Right? So how do we get this serenity, you say, Pastor? How do we get this wisdom? Well, we're going to explore this more in the next few weeks, but here are three quick ways that I think are important to get serenity. These are real broad brushstrokes. One is, and you all know these, but I just want to name them, because we'll be using these kind of this framework for the next three or four weeks. One is to develop some healthy coping mechanisms. Right, duh. Uh, but it's true. Develop some healthy coping mechanisms that when you feel the volcano of anxiety erupts, you can choose those coping mechanisms to help diminish some of the anxiety in your life. Right? These may, there are all kinds of wonderful healthy coping mechanisms. Notice that I said healthy coping mechanisms, right? There are some healthy coping mechanisms, and there are some not so healthy coping mechanisms for anxiety. Right? You know that. So for example, if you're feeling anxious, it might be a really, really good idea to go out dancing for the night with friends. Feel anxious, get out the dance floor and dance it out. <laughs> it might not be a healthy co a coping mechanism to go to the bathroom and do some cocaine while you're dancing. <laughs> That's a coping mechanism, but not a healthy one, right? And so you have to figure out for yourself, I mean, I, I largely think things like cocaine, crystal meth, lots of things are just categorically unhealthy, um, so I just want to say that. Uh, I do think there are some coping mechanisms which might be healthy for me that wouldn't be healthy for you, right? And so you've got to figure out what those are. Um, there are lots of coping mechanisms that sound good, but in the practice are actually not increasing uh, the serenity that we're looking for. And maybe you should support some of my favorite clips from all of TV. So we're going to practice. We're going to play this clip now. It's as far as it goes. There's a mechanism, you just pull it 
and throw your body weight. I don't think it doesn't go. If you want the leg room, say you want the leg room, don't play the mechanism. Exactly. You're five blocks from the house. Sit sideways. I cannot. That's a recreation prayer. 
So when you're breathing that in, you're letting God and God's own wisdom get into you and recreate you in ways you didn't know you needed. Big breath. I need to share something big with y'all today, which will be the case of some great anxiety. Um, and it's not a message I expected to be delivering at this point in our ministry at Urban Village Church. But I wanted to let you know that at the end of 2015, at the end of this calendar year, I will be transitioning from full-time pastoral leadership at this church. And I will be moving, uh, after serving six and a half years with y'all, I will be moving to the United Kingdom. Breathe in. I'm not leaving because I want to be clear. I'm not leaving because I was looking for a new thing. I'm not leaving because I was unfulfilled or am unfulfilled with my ministry here. To my mind, Urban Village is the best church in the world, and I plan on being here for a long, long time, maybe forever. This is not what I expected or planned. Y'all are the best. I love what you stand for. Jesus and justice. I love that you are people who will settle for nothing less than gospel in your veins and in the city and the world. I love y'all. I'm leaving because my husband, Jonathan Dean, has been invited to join the theological faculty of the Great Seminary in Britain and to take a vital role in reshaping clergy in Britain and the Bridge Methodist Church. So I am very excited for him. I'm excited for us as a couple. I'm a little excited for me, but mostly right now what I'm experiencing is a pretty profound sadness. And I know that uh, I've been sitting with this for a few weeks, and so I imagine you are sitting with a whole range of feelings right now. And I want to say that um, those feelings are all okay. All right? and so as you breathe in, you don't have to breathe the anxiety out immediately. Like you can hold that, you can hold that, and I can hold that. I know this is a big deal, and I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to push this under or make it easy. It's not easy for you, for me, for us. Um, what will I be doing, people are asking? Uh, I will not be pastoring a church for the first time in 15 years. I won't be pastoring. Um, I will be... Um, Continuing some work that I've started in the past couple of years of coaching new church starts across the nation, and now we'll be doing some of that in the British Isles and in Europe. So building that out, I don't know what it's going to look like, um, but it feels like the right thing for us as a family, um, and it comes with equal parts excitement and equal parts sadness. And um, yeah, I know this brings up a lot of feelings for y'all, and um, a lot of questions about what will happen now. And I, I want to let you know, know that we're going to have time in the next couple months to process some of these feelings together. I want you to know that I can hold whatever you need to hold, so if you want to talk to me about anything, I'm available to you. I want you to know that if you feel too upset or angry or all those things right now, that's okay too. And there are other folks on staff we can process with. Um, and the questions that come up, we'll move into a time of really diving into those things together. I'll be here until the end of December. 
Jonathan, my husband, will be moving to begin the semester uh, in mid-September. So I'll be here uh, for another four months. Immediately, and this is getting into process, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I wanted to tell you full disclosure. Immediately, we will begin the process of asking the question of what does Friggin Village Church need in its next pastor? Uh, for the whole movement, and particularly for River Park. What are the gifts and skills that we need flourish this movement long term. And so there'll be more information coming out about that in the next week or two. You'll know who to talk to about that process. You will be involved in that process. I can always come back. I can always come back. I can't. Yes. You know, someone asked me, uh, was this definite or indefinite? And um, you know, seven and a half years ago, I did not know I'd be planting Urban Village Church. So I've stopped, I've pretty much stopped trying to predict what will happen. Right now, I know what John is doing. I know our life is getting ready to change drastically. In some ways, there is this too. Um, and I know that if I uh, quote Thomas Merton, I follow the right road, though I may not, not know if it's God's will or not, if I just give myself the best uh, awareness and attention that I can, that God will make um, a way forward. And I have great hope and trust in that, and that God will use my gifts, and that God will use your gifts. Um, so, we move into this season with great anxiety, and just to name that, we also move into this season in a place of great strength, y'all. This is a, a young church. It's a very healthy church. It's not a perfect church, but it is a healthy church. And you are strong. At the same time, you are weak. It's how it goes. You are people of great um, beauty and intellect and power. And God will use all of that. Our mission is very clear. Kelly said it at the beginning. We are called to create Jesus-loving, inclusive that change the world. That mission is the same today and tomorrow, and the next day and the next day. And that's what we're called to marshal our energy and gifts and limits for. Our lay leadership and staff leadership are people with great quality and depth. And I really believe that if there were ever a time or there was ever a group of people more equipped to move through this transition in a healthy and holy and serene way, this is the time, and you are the people. I believe that. I trust that. Um, there's an old hymn. We've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord. We trust in God, who has never failed us yet. And what he has done in the first six and a half years of Urban Village is amazing. And what she will do uh, in the next season will be more than we can ever imagine or ask for. So I welcome your prayers. I welcome your questions, be assured of my prayers for you at this time, daily. I just want to say right now, thank you for letting me be part of this team. It has been a great joy in my life, right after Mary and John. <laughs> May the peace of Christ be with you wherever you are, however you are.